Broadcasting live to the world now, it's Sheila Zelensky. This is a very sinister Luciferian eugenics plan. These spineless weasels preach what people want to hear. They replace repentance with dreams of the good life. Dying daily, taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. Sheila Zelensky. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Sheila Zelinsky Show. I have a fantastic program. Also, I'm asking people, because this is a listener-supported show, I'm asking people to please support this ministry if you are not already supporting it. And those that have the means, would you please get behind this ministry and ensure that this broadcast stays on the air. Airtime has gone up. A lot of things have gone up. And it's been a very challenging year for me, I must say. I am asking for your support. If you could go right now to SheilaZelinski.com, go to Donate on the menu. We've made it very convenient for people to support the program, including Cash App, Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, And I would really appreciate those people that would become a patron over there on my Patreon. And we do have some perks coming in July. Those will not be available to the public. You can also donate by check or money order. And please, because of the censorship, make sure that you stay in the loop right now by going and signing up for our free e-newsletter. We send out updates and great guests and fabulous shows. We try to get one out once a week. So please make sure you stay in the loop as they're taking me off more platforms. Go to SheilaZelinski.com and you scroll down on the homepage and you can sign up very easily. Just put in your email and you will stay in the loop. Well, I want to jump right into the program today. My guest is Dr. Danny Moreno. I want to welcome him back to the program. He's a good friend. He is long overdue. It is the one and only Dr. Daniel Moreno. Danny, welcome back to the program. Well, it's great to be back, Sheila. Thank you so much. So much has happened in the last six months. It's almost like, where do you start? But I think really what I want to discuss today, Danny, what I find incredible, and it's also very ubiquitous right now, is all these false prophets of Baal. So a year to the date, we did an incredible show. I've got that link below. I feel like we're smack dab right in the middle of Mark 13, Luke 21, Matthew 24. The reactor rods are all going off. We're going to do a deep dive today on Matthew 24 and buckle up, folks. This is going to be good. Would you agree that, that we're in unprecedented times? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's never been a time like this, I believe, in all of history. Let's kind of break down Matthew 24 in a way that nobody's heard it. So what I'm, where I want to go is signs of Christ's return. Again, it's like this is like a nature hike through four different Gospels. Again, they're all sort of converging. Jesus left the temple. That's where I want to start. And he was going on his way, Danny, when his disciples came up to him and called something very interesting to his attention. Let's get into the building, the temple, what that was about. We've done shows on all these people that stand with Israel. And, you know, we're not going to rehearse that. We'll link that below. But Jesus answered something very incredible when he was seated on the Mount of Olives. The disciples had come to him privately and he said something because they actually she asked something and I thought it was really interesting. So you got to picture this. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. He had just left a temple area, a temple area, interesting word. And Jesus said to them, now pay attention to this here. He said, do you see all these things? I assure you, 
and most solemnly say to you, not one stone here will be left on another which will not be torn down. Now let's go through it in the King James, Danny, if you will. All right. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. I think what's very significant here, what has always stuck out to me here, and it's mentioned in another part of scripture, the same account, I believe it's Mark 13 or it could be Luke 21, that Jesus draws their focus away from the glory of this temple, this physical temple. And we still have this problem today where men have built temples unto God, even in modern Christianity, and they're so transfixed, they're so enamored with their quote-unquote places of worship. And of course, you know, under, under this dispensation, under this covenant, the temple was a glorious thing that Solomon had originally built for the Lord. So it was a thing of awe and something that was greatly regarded and and practically worshipped by the people. And I believe that the disciples wanted to impress Christ. I believe they wanted to show him their devotion to the law, their devotion to the cult of temple worship that was allowed by God under the old covenant. And they so they wanted to show the Lord how they gloried in the temple and how they were dedicated to the temple. And Jesus kind of, he did this quite often, he puts a pin right in their balloon. Because Jesus is in bringing them through a transition. He's bringing them out from under the old covenant that God had with the Hebrew people. And he's bringing them through his ministry and eventually through his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, he's bringing them into the new covenant. And he doesn't want them focused anymore on the physical things, the outward things, the temporary things. Uh, he doesn't want them in this religious spirit. And he's making this transition. So he lets them know something that they would have never thought, because they would think that God would never allow such a thing to be ha to happen. For the temple to be thrown down, not one stone upon another, God would never allow that to happen. And he lets them know this is, this is over, this is done, and this is not important. And then in the other scripture, it's not mentioned here in 24, but in the other scripture, Jesus says, do you see this temple? Not one stone shall be left upon another. And then he points to his own body. And he says, tear this temple down, and I will raise it up in three days. And the scripture says that he spoke concerning the temple of his body. So the Lord was making the transition already, and he was letting them know that God is no longer interested in filling temples of stone, temples made with men's hands, even in the Holy of Holies, okay? The Holy Spirit is not interested in residing in there, but the Holy Spirit is going to reside in human temples, okay? In, in the bodies of the believers, and Jesus is going to be the first one. That's why he says, tear this temple down, and I will raise it up in three days. So to me, that was so pivotal, yeah? 
that Jesus was kind of poo-pooing their excitement about all that had gone before him and letting them know that he was coming to initiate a new covenant. And this new covenant was no longer going to be based on the observance of outward things, temporary things, physical things, religious rituals and ceremonies and festivals. All these things had only been, as, as the Apostle Paul puts it in the New Testament, foreshadowings. Okay, these were given as examples. They were, these were given as symbols of something greater that was going to come in the Spirit when the Messiah came with his ministry and and started that new covenant, right? We think about Jeremiah where it says, you know, my covenant will no longer, my law will no longer be written on stone, but I will write my law upon your hearts. I will take out of you the, the heart of stone and I will put in you a, a soft heart of flesh and I will write my law upon your hearts. And in John 14 through 16, Jesus gives this whole sermon basically about the fact that it's necessary for him to go back to the Father that he may send the Holy Spirit. And he says, he who believes in me, my Father and I will come and make our home where our presence will abide in that man. I have been with you, but I shall be in you. So for me, this is a declaration that Jesus is making, putting a pin in their balloon of religiosity, of worship of things that represent the kingdom of God, to show them that, no, no, I want to bring the kingdom of God into you. That's what I've come for. So the Lord said in another place, I speak to the people in parables, right? In riddles and stories. And he said, it is not for them to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but it is given unto you. And each one of those cases where he told his disciples, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. It always says that he was privately alone with his disciples. So these were people that were chasing after him. Him, that were, were, you know, walking with him and following him, not just sitting in the audience and listening to him when he preached publicly, but Jesus had these private sessions with the true disciples, the people who really were interested in his person and really wanted to follow him intimately. So I think that's real important because I think that's the same problem we have today, that a lot of the people who claim to be Christians believe in Christ. They believe in what Christ did and, you know, his death, burial, and resurrection, so on and so forth. They go to church. They even worship Christ. and But they do these things from a distance. And they are people who fulfill a certain obligation in their minds that they believe the Lord is content with. But how many are like these disciples that chase him down privately? Okay, who chase him down privately and want to know the meaning of the things that he said. And I think that's why Christ reveals these things to them. I, I think it's important. He didn't put this out on the news. He didn't print it and publish it all over Jerusalem. No, the things that we're about to read were not given to the masses. 
And this is another thing that I find that, you know, Christians expect today for the world to be given all this revelation, uh, given the understanding about the end times and so on. And we're so disappointed when we don't see the world asking to know those things or God seeming to go out of his way to make them know those things. But when we look in scripture, we see that Jesus did not publish the mysteries of the kingdom, the true revelation of the kingdom to those who just came to get the food, like when he fed the 5,000, right? He said, you did not come to me because you're interested in my word and who I am and to follow me. You came to me because I fed you yesterday. And I think there were a lot of cultural Christians and, you know, believers, so to speak, that's their attitude. They, they want to have an obligatory relationship from a distance with the Lord, but they're not hungry and thirsty for the intimate discourse with him, to know exactly what he means by the things that he says. So I think that's a big point for us to, to recognize right off. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? Or are you just a cultural Christian? Are you just a professing Christian? Someone who believes the facts, right? Like in the world, trust the science, right? Well, when it comes to the Bible, okay, you believe the words of the Bible. You believe they're true. But are you seeking Christ intimately for what those words really mean? And are you willing to do whatever it takes to find out the meaning and then when you do find out the meaning, follow. So I think that's important. Now, they asked a couple of questions, and it's important that we understand these questions before we look at his answers. They say to him, or they ask him rather, tell us when shall these things be? What things? Well, what Jesus just said. He said, not one stone shall be left upon another. They will all be thrown down. So this was a shocking revelation to these disciples. Jesus was telling them, this temple is going to be raised. It's going to be thrown down, burnt to the ground. I mean, this was shocking. Okay, so they're saying to him, when is this going to take place? That's the first part of their question, okay, which has to do and we're going to split this up in time, with that event, when is that going to happen that this temple is going to come down and uh, no longer be there? Okay, now the second part, I believe, is a, another question that the answer applies to another point of time. Listen to the other questions. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So these are two completely different types of questions. First, they want to know what is going to be absolutely relevant to them, more than likely in their generation. They're going to see it, okay? Tell us when these things shall be. In other words, when the temple's going to be thrown down, when Jerusalem's going to be sacked. And the second two-part question, what shall be the sign of your coming in the end of the world, has to do with a much longer period of time and really the culmination of God's whole plan. So these are two separate things, and we need to understand when we look at Christ's answer now, in and out, he's kind of weaving in, or out, in and out with his answers to both of these questions. And that's where the confusion can come in when we think he's answering all the, of this according to one period of time and one event.
then he can't be speaking about the very end of the age and at the sign of his coming because we already know we're 2,000 years out and he hasn't come yet and the end hasn't come yet. So I think when he says they, then we have to connect it to what he was talking about at that moment. He was talking about the temple, wasn't he? He was talking about the leadership of Israel. He was talking about everything that surrounded that setting. And so in this sense, they, uh, and as we see played out later in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament of the Bible, many times this day were those who claimed to be the stewards of the temple, the leaders of the temple, the leaders of the nation of Israel, the leaders of God's priesthood at that time. And Jesus says, take heed that no man deceive you. I find it very interesting that the first signs, because Jesus is going to give us a bunch of signs here, right? Because they asked him, what are the signs of your coming? What are the signs of the end of the age? How will we know when these things are going to occur? And one thing that I've brought out when I teach this scripture about end time signs is there's one element that is often overlooked that is mentioned more than the others. It's mentioned twice, and that's the element of men coming and deceiving them, right? Christ says in verse 4, take heed that no man deceive you. Down in verse 11, he goes again about deceptions, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So I find it very powerful that he lists other signs, big signs, like we'll read here, wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, famines, I mean, kingdom rising against kingdom, nation against nation. These are big signs. Yet he only mentions them once. But when it comes to men coming to deceive you, he starts with that and he basically finishes this one section with that. I find that very telling that Jesus is giving us, you know, the signs of things to look for as what's going to be going on out in the world to recognize that you're in that time, but personally, what's going to what challenges the salvation of our soul more so is the deception. So Jesus says, take heed that no man deceive you, and watch what he says next. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, I believe we've misunderstood this a lot, because we think that what the Lord is saying is that they're going to be, you know, Charles Manson types and Jim Jones types and saying, I am Christ, okay? There have been these type of cult leaders and, uh, you know, crazy people, demon-possessed people that have said, I am Jesus, I am Christ. But I don't believe necessarily that's what Christ is really focusing on here. What he's saying, if we read it differently, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. In other words, imagine him pointing to himself and him saying, many will say that I am the Christ. So I believe there are two ways to look at this other than someone coming and saying, I am Jesus Christ, okay, and, and being a counterfeit Christ and saying, I am Christ, like many people believe the Antichrist will come and do. Uh, number one, I believe that, first of all, this is speaking about people that claim to be of Christ. I am of Christ. 
I represent Christ. Because remember, when we come into the body of Christ, we are part of Christ. Christ is the head, we are the body. Christ's head is not separated from his body. So when we come into his body, we are part of Christ. So many shall come saying, I am of Christ, I belong to Christ, I am a part of Christ, and more so, I am the representative of Christ. I am a Christian, a little Christ. I am a Christian. Uh, and they shall deceive many because they'll use the power of his name. They'll usurp the authority of his name and in order to establish their authority, but they will not follow and teach his doctrine. They'll come with false doctrine. They'll come with another way that is not Christ, but they will still claim that they are of Christ, and they represent Christ, and they are actually appointed by Christ, okay? For instance, in the church cult, yeah, in the institution of the church, uh, they stand up and they say, "We are. I am Christ's representative. I am a leader in Christ's church, okay? I have a position of authority in Christ's church. I am an apostle. I am a prophet. I am a pastor. I am a teacher for Christ. I've been appointed by Christ. But then they go on to teach things that if you really study what the Bible teaches, don't match what Christ said and did. So they will deceive many. Secondly, there will be many that will say they believe the facts about Christ. They believe he is the Christ. They're not going to argue with you that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, and so on, okay? But then they'll go on to teach other things that the Bible completely condemns like focusing on self and the love and greed of money and things like this and, and other false doctrines that are not of Christ. So even though they claim to represent Christ, they claim to come on the power and the authority of his name, they're not preaching and living what he said. And that way they will deceive many. The, the scripture says that Christ is the rock of offense. See what I mean? They're preaching another Christ. And remember, the persecution comes from the spirit realm first, right? It's not just humans being offended at something that they hear or see. Remember that it's the principalities, the powers, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. The wicked spirits, the kingdom of darkness that inspire the world to persecute the believers in Christ, the followers of Christ. If someone's up there and they're being used by Satan, okay, to lead astray, to deceive, and especially in the name of Christ. I mean, Satan can't do better than that, than to be misleading, like you said, misleading millions and millions of people in the name of Christ. It doesn't get better than that for Satan, okay? So he's not going to persecute those people, at least not the most, right? But if he sees somebody who is preaching the true Christ, and standing up for the truth of what the Word of God says. And when someone's comfortable in following a lie 
And you come and you shed the light on that lie and say that is not true, that is not the correct way, then people are going to be offended by that. And again, the scripture says of Jesus himself in 1 Peter chapter 2, he is the stone of stumbling. He is the rock of offense. He is the stone or the foundation that the builders of society and religion is part of society and Christian religion is part of society. He is the stone that the builders rejected. Why? Because Christ is not coming and did not come to undergird and support and propagate and extend the kingdoms of this world. That's why when he was being interviewed by Pilate, and you know, Pilate started to ask him, "Are you a king of? The, are you the king of the Jews?" And so on. Are you a king? And he was asking him on an earthly level. In other words, are you staging a rebellion, an insurrection? Are you trying to overthrow Rome, like so many other false messiahs that have come before you? And Jesus makes it clear. He says, "My kingdom is not." of this world. And that's the offense right there. And that's the offense even to cultural Christians, because there are many, many, and you've mentioned to me, for instance, about the seven mountains and the, you know, the uh, NAR people and so on that want to you know, Christianity to take precedence to rule in the kingdoms of the world right now. Many of them are looking, just like the Jews were when Jesus came, for the Messiah to come and fix their world, fix their society. They're not looking for a spiritual kingdom that's coming in the future sometime. And that's why Jesus is the offense you see? Because Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And watch what he says. Because if my kingdom were of this world, I would have my servants fighting for me. In other words, I would have my servants fighting to take over the kingdoms of this world so that I can rule in the kingdoms of this world. But Jesus has no ambition in, the, in that way. He is coming with a new kingdom, and he will vanquish all the kingdoms of this world. And many cultural Christians and the church on a whole, that's not a message that they're excited about, just like the Jews were not excited about it when he came the first time. They were looking for a Davidic-type Messiah, a conquering king who would overthrow the Romans and give them the rulership over an empire on the earth. And when Jesus disappointed those ambitions and those hopes, they turned him over to the Romans to be killed. So he is the offense in that sense, in the same way today. He's an offense to those who still love this world. They may call themselves Christians. They may believe intellectually in the facts about what Christ came and did, but they still have their investment in this world. That's why they gravitate, many of the evangelical Christians, for instance, gravitate toward heroes in the flesh, like President Trump. Why, if they believe in Jesus and they belong to his kingdom and he's the hope they're waiting on, why are they looking to a sinner, okay, an unregenerate man, a king of the flesh, 
to deliver them, to bring them their hopes and dreams, because their hopes and dreams are still in this world system. And that's where Jesus, and notice in the Amplified, Sheila, it says that they will begin no longer to trust, to put their trust in and look toward, and they will dissociate themselves with him whom they should put their trust in. Why do they pull away from Christ? They pull away from Christ because Christ is not promising to fix their world. Many, not a few false prophets are going to appear and mislead and deceive is what the word in the King James is. And 12 says, because what is increased lawlessness, the love of most people will grow cold. But the one who endures, there's that word endures again and bears up under all this suffering. No, wait a minute. We're not suffering because we're not appointed to suffer. Christians don't suffer. They're, you know, the car salesman from Lakewood, Castle Lakewood, where there's money stashed in the walls. He says that, you know, you're coming up higher and I am. Um, highly favored, right? Well, this is the false gospel. This is the very, uh, you know, this is a perfect example of what the scripture is talking about, that they come in the name of Christ, but what they're preaching and teaching and living and, you know, propagating is not Christ's message. It's a message about the love of this world. It's a message about trust in this world. It's a message about succeeding and prospering and thriving under this world system. And yet when we read scripture, we read the Gospels, we read the letters of the Apostles and the rest of the New Testament, we read the book of Acts. We don't see this. They're the head and not the tail, and they're the king's kids, and they have favor with the world everywhere they go. That's the gospel they're believing in, and that they're chasing the lust of their heart and the desires of their heart. These things that you're talking about are not in the Bible. These are, you know, I've always talked about these kind of guys. They hold up the Bible and they say, the word says, the word says, and they wave the Bible around. And then they speak, as Jeremiah said, a dream of their own imagination. They speak a vision of their own heart. And the Lord says in Jeremiah, I did not send these prophets, but they went. I did not commission these prophets, but they ran and they speak a dream of their own heart. They speak a vision of their own mind. I did not give them this word. So many of these supposed word of faithers, prosperity guys, and, you know, your best life now, and whatever the case may be, they may wave the Bible around, but is what they're saying coming from the Bible? And the sad truth of the matter is that most of the people that just want to go to a church and have the pastor live out their faith for them, and they think that they're just going to get points for showing up and singing praise and worship songs and enriching the pastor with their money, but they don't go home as the Bereans did and study the scriptures for themselves to find out if they, what they were being told is the truth. They just accept because that man says, I am an anointed vessel of God. I am a man of God. Touch not God's anointing. Anointed. They just accept that that's God's word. But have they gone to the word like we're doing right here tonight to see if that's the gospel that Jesus preached, to see if that's the gospel that the apostles preached, to see if it matches up? I mean, was Paul going higher and thriving and prospering as he went from prison cell to prison cell, as he went from shipwreck to shipwreck, as he went from stonings and beatings to, to stonings and beatings? Is it 
prospering in this world according to the standards of this world and what this world says success and prosperity is, or is it the spiritual growth and growing in Christ and rising higher, you know, going from faith to faith and glory to glory, like the scripture says. If we look at the lives of the apostles, according to the standards from these present-day false prophets, then Paul would be a miserable failure, a terrible example of a Christian and much less a Christian leader. So something's not adding up here. Something is not matching here. And it goes back to um, a very good theme that we talked about a year ago, and I've linked that show below because we're not saying anything different. Our message hasn't changed over a decade. It's a mixture. Yes, and again, remember that it, uh, you know, Paul said in the letter to Timothy that in these end times, and that's what Jesus is talking about here, the end times, men will no longer be able to endure sound doctrine. Now, what's the next part of it? They shall heap to themselves teachers after a great number to reinforce the errors that they already hold. So, you know, we like to blame these false teachers, but the bottom line is these false teachers and these false prophets cannot thrive in an environment where they're not welcomed and greatly supported. For instance, you mentioned Joel Osteen. Well, he has 40 football stadium, right? 40,000 people who come to listen to him where people agree with what he's saying and they are basically summoning him. Come tell us what we want to hear. They approve of this. I remember listening to Copeland's uh, son being interviewed. This is about 20 years ago. And, you know, the, the worldly journalist was trying to expose, you know, this con game that's going on. And all these people are coming and supporting this money. And how can you justify this money and this and that? And he said uh, he gave an answer that I thought was very honest and very true. He said... The people that support us believe in our message. Otherwise, they wouldn't support us. But the scripture talks more about those who want to be taught wrong. Those who have itching ears, the scripture says, and they're looking to have false teachers come and tell them the things that they want to hear. They provide the environment, they provide the financial support, they provide, you know, the resources for these false gospels to thrive and succeed. So that's why the scripture says that the people will not be able to endure sound doctrine. It doesn't say they don't like sound doctrine, uh, they're not really into sound doctrine. No, it says they can't even endure it. They can't suffer it. They can't bear it. They can't tolerate it. And because of that, the scripture says, they go out and find these false teachers to tickle their ears, to tell them what they want to hear, and they pay them handsomely to do so. I remember this interview about Jesse Supplantas, okay? And the journalist was going to the different members of, you know, his congregation. They were showing his 35,000 square foot mansion, the biggest structure in the whole little city that he lives in there in Louisiana. And and, you know, the world found this preposterous. They found it insane. They found it ridiculous. And they went to interview the people, and the people were were happy. 
They said, oh, we're glad that he's prospering. We want the Lord to bless him. We agree with what he's doing. He's being blessed because he's teaching what God wants him to teach, and we agree with it. And the journalists were shocked. Well, wait a second. These people deserve this. This is what they want, and this is what the Scripture is saying. I want to mention here, too, about being offended and about betraying one another and hating one another. And, you know, this is not speaking about wicked antichrist people. It says they shall betray one another. They shall hate one another. Okay, and I believe this is connected to verse 12 when it says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. What's going on right now? The pressure that's coming on Christians right now through this whole pandemic, this scam. And that's not the only thing that's going on. All the wicked divinations and machinations and designs that are being put forth now by the beast system, by the new world order, okay? And the the absolute lawlessness and immorality and decadence and perversion that is being shoved down people's throats 24-7. This iniquity, iniquity means exactly lawlessness. Everything that is against what God says is pure, what is good, what is acceptable in his sight is iniquity. And because iniquity is abounding, it's causing people the love that these halfway mixture Christians and churches, okay, and Christianity, the system, this, this hybrid organism called the church and the people in it that are, they have, you know, one foot in the world and one foot in the church, they are being put under pressure because all around them there's nothing but iniquity, and therefore, they are also yielding to that iniquity. They are yielding to that idolatry. They are becoming adulterous with the world. They are uh, living that kind of carnal life. Their love for Christ is waxing cold. And when somebody's love is waxing cold, when they're lukewarm, when they're not sold out, and they feel convicted about that because deep inside they know it's wrong— then when others come to them who profess to follow the same Lord, the same Messiah, Christ, and they are really living these things, and they're really speaking out against this iniquity, what do you think happens? The phonies, the halfway people, the hybrids, the mixture people, those that uh, whose love is waxing cold because of their love for the world— they get offended by the truth. They get offended by being confronted by the light of the truth of Christ's word and the spirit of Christ. And then what do they do? It's happening right now. They betray that other person. They hate that other person. I guarantee you there are Christians out here, professing Christians, that will turn their neighbor in, turn their fellow church member in. They'll turn their pastor in. They'll turn their relatives in, okay, that are supposedly they have the same Lord, supposedly they believe the same Bible, but 
because that relative, that pastor, that fellow Christian is not willing to take the mark of the beast. Yes, I'll say it exactly that way. They're not willing to take this demonic concoction into their bloodstream. They're not willing to walk around with that demonic muzzle on their face. They're not willing to follow all these demonic elements of this satanic agenda. And the real agenda is to make slaves of the population. And even supposed professing Christians that are lukewarm, like the scripture talks about, they are afraid. They're still walking in the spirit of fear, the bondage of the spirit of the fear of death, the letter to Peter calls it. But we who are true disciples of Christ, we believe that scripture in in 2 Timothy that says, for we are not given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. Well, if you're walking in that, and the other person is walking in fear, and in submission, and here's the word, compliance with the beast system, and you're speaking against that, you're shining the light against that, and saying, according to the word of God, we should not be yielding to this, then what happens? They get offended, and they're going to betray you, and they're going to hate you, and they're going to ultimately turn you up to be killed. They stand with the world on this saying that I've heard so much in the last few years. Well, this is my truth. You have your truth and I have my truth. I know my truth, okay? Truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. This is not the Christian message. This is not the truth of the word of God, see? So what's interesting here in verse 9, I find, though, when it talks about they will deliver you up to be afflicted, so that you will be killed. Now watch the end of this verse. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. This is something you started off the show today by saying we're in unprecedented times. And I believe we are, and I believe we're in the very end times. And for this reason and reason alone, there has never been a complete worldwide submission to a lawless mandate. Never has the whole world come under compliance to a worldwide evil mandate from all the governments of the world. We've had the Nazis. We often, you know, make that comparison. We've had the Nazis. Okay, that was a certain region of Europe, basically. We've had different communist regimes, China, Russia, you know, the old Russia, Soviet Union, Cuba, Venezuela, okay, we've had these these things happen like we're seeing this total total totalitarianism, okay, this authoritarian rule without any common sense, without any freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly. We've had this in pockets where genocide has occurred, okay, um, where these mass you know killings have happened, Holocaust. But never have we had yet the whole world come under the tyranny of one mandate. And this is where the book of Revelation says concerning the kings of the earth. And they all will give their will over to the beast for one hour. All the kings of the earth will give their authority and their submission and they will cooperate with the beast 
for one hour. There will be one mandate and everyone must follow it. We have never seen this yet. And that w- that's what sets this present time that we're in apart from any time that has ever gone before us. Because many people will say, oh, well, they thought Hitler was the Antichrist. And they thought this and they thought that. Yes, but this is the first time that the whole world has buckled under the command from the false prophet that everyone must receive this jab, okay, this mark, and if they do not receive it, then they cannot, Revelation 13, they cannot buy, sell, or trade. And ultimately, if they do not receive this, they shall be put to death. And this is what Jesus is talking about. And you know, the Lord is giving the true believers an opportunity. And I don't know how many supposed Christians are seeing this, but we prophesied years ago, Sheila, you and I both and some others have prophesied that that the churches would at some point be shut down, that they would be locked down, locked up. We, you know, we imagine kind of an old power politics type communist takeover, right? Where there would be military forces coming and shutting these things down. We would have never dreamed of this, you know, this scam, this fake medical scientific, uh, you know, pandemic type thing would cause the whole world, the whole world to submit to tyranny without a shot fired. I mean, this is some real demonic power that is going on in the world. But on the other side of the coin, the Lord is backing up his call from the angel in Revelation 18.4 and helping his people to follow that. What is that call? Come out of her, my people, and be partakers not of her sins and receive not of her viruses, okay, plagues. God is calling his true people. He says, come out of her, my people. He doesn't say, come out of her, my Christian institution. He doesn't say, come out of her, the religion of Christianity. He says, come out of her, my people. Speaking of mystery Babylon, which the church system is a big part of big part of the whore who rides the beast, big part of the false prophet that is in fornication and adultery with the world system, with the beast, demanding people to come into submission to the will of Satan. Okay, so the Lord is calling his people out. Are people paying attention to that? God's trying to help us by shutting down the false representation. This is what we started with at the top, right? Many shall come in the name of Christ, saying, I am Christ, or I am of Christ, or I represent Christ, or I believe that Jesus is the Christ, but they're not preaching and living what Christ said to preach and live, and they shall deceive many, right? So the Lord is giving the true disciples an opportunity to come out of that false system and to seek him, to come to his person, to follow him. How many are hearing that call? That's the question. And those who are not hearing that call, they're coming under pressure by the world because iniquity abounds and their love is turning cold 
They're falling away from their faith in Christ. They're no longer trusting in him. But they're doing what? They're putting their trust in the false prophets. Who else are the false prophets? We haven't talked about this. What other type of thing is a false prophet? This principality named science. This fallen angel and his horde of demons calling itself science, calling for you to trust in him, not it, to trust in him. It is a principality posing as a human discipline, a human field of study and research. This science is not science. If you can't question it, how can it be science? Many of those who claim to be Christ's people are submitting to that. And not only submitting to it, becoming evangelists for the beast. I prophesied years ago already that the churches would be the instruments of implementing the mark of the beast. Because the scripture says the false prophet constructs the image of the beast, the breath of life, and he commands, the false prophet, the whore who rides the beast, commands that all men should worship the first beast who came out of the sea. It's the second beast. Listen to how he's described in Revelation 13. The false prophet, the second beast that comes up out of the land, has two horns like a lamb. Yeah, listen to that. That means he's presenting himself as the lamb of God, but speaks like a dragon. The dragon is Satan. So he has the appearance on the outward of the Lamb of God, right? Many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ. He has the appearance of Christ, the Lamb, on the outside. You know, he's wearing this religious costume of Christianity or the church, so on, right? But he speaks like a dragon. He's coming with the word of Satan. And he is the one who gives breath to the image of the beast. And he is the one who commands all of the people of the earth that they must take the mark of the first beast and bow down and give him worship and give him submission. This is the compliance. So we see churches complying. We see the Christian institution complying. We see Christian leaders complying, and therefore we see Christians complying. And they believe that they are following the authorities of the world. Romans 13, we are to obey the authorities. But is this what the Lord has told us to do? So basically, what we're saying is that Jesus warned of a time in the end where great deception would prevail. And I don't believe that even many of those professing the name of Christ, who, as I said earlier, believe the truths about why Christ came, are recognizing this deception. In fact, I talk to many Christians who say, well, we're going to know who the Antichrist is. We're going to know when these things happen. And they're basing all these things on false doctrine that has been going forward from this church system for at least the last 40 or 50 years, probably even more. They're not basing it on true understanding of what the scripture really says. And this is the deception 
that, you know, and especially people that are believing in the rapture, they're going to be taken out before all these terrible things happen. The bottom line is this deception has been going on for a long, long time. And now it's heightening to the point where it is completely uncomfortable. You're not going to be able to live as a true disciple of Christ without, yes, a mark on your head, okay, with your life being threatened because you are standing for the truth of who Christ really is. And you hit it on the head when you talked about what Jesus said. Don't be deceived. Once again, he said this. Don't be misled. Do not think, that's the way he put it, do not think that the Son of Man has come to send peace on the earth, but a sword to divide those who are really for me and those who are not. Even between relatives, he said, to divide a father from a son, mother from a daughter, friend from a friend, and so on. And this is what's going on right now. That sword is this pressure that's coming down. Choose a side. And many people are missing that sign that that's going on right now. That when you are submitting, let's use the the worldly word, when you are complying to the agenda of the beast, you are choosing a side. And this false uh, Christian doctrine, again, about causing division in the church. Let me tell you something. The scripture says in the Gospels, everywhere Jesus went, he caused division. It says, and the crowd was divided concerning him. So the true gospel will always bring separation, will always bring division. I like this, and I bring this out in my rapture book, verse 26. Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Watch this. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Okay, this, this fairy tale about Jesus coming like a coward, hiding behind clouds and vacuuming or sucking his people up out of the earth before anything really bad happens, before the Antichrist reveals himself and all this other stuff. This is what Jesus is talking about. When people say that things about him that uh, are not true. Jesus said, every eye shall see him. As far as the lightning and as strong as the lightning and as visible as the lightning appears from going from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Everyone's going to know when Christ returns. He is not coming in secret, people. This is a lie. This is a false doctrine. This is a deception. And this is going to cause many people to miss the kingdom of God and to take the mark of the beast. So I can claim to be a Christian all I want. I can claim to believe in Jesus and worship Jesus all I want. But if my life is about the the fulfillment of selfishness, self-ambition, self-desire, self-interest, self-preoccupation, this is iniquity. Iniquity is the fruit of the flesh, right? The flesh is in rebellion against God. How did Paul put it? He said, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusts against the flesh that the person cannot be able to fulfill the will of God. Iniquity is everything that is in the fallen nature of fallen man. And iniquity abounding is like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's without restraint, right? 
It's lawlessness. Lawlessness means there's no regard. There's no restriction to allowing the evil nature, the evil fallen nature to rule and reign. That's iniquity. And this iniquity is abounding in the world. All the restraints are being thrown off. Yeah? They're thrown off all moral restraint. They're throwing off everything that would bring you know, conviction to a conscience. They have no conscience anymore. Uh, nothing is forbidden. Everything is okay. Do whatever, you know. What is the satanic mantra? This is the whole of the law. Yeah, do what you want. Isn't that what Aleister Crowley preached? Do as thou wilt. This is the whole of the law. This is the satanic law that Aleister Crowley preached and his disciples like Anton LaVey, who founded the Church of Satan. This is what they live by. Well, many, many, many Christians and churches and Christian institutions are living the philosophy of the satanic Bible. Not the, not the Christian Bible. Well said. I think we've laid out, you know, a pretty compelling argument on this whole topic, Danny. And very quickly also for people that might be new, just happen to tune in, give out your information so folks can find your handiwork. My website, godisnotreligious.net. You'll find a lot of my books. I've written about many of these things that we've spoken about in, in some of my books. You can also find, of course, a lot of the teachings there, videos and audio teachings and, and courses. Also, we have a God is Not Religious Facebook, and we also have a fellowship group that meets on Saturday evenings, Easter Standard Time from 8 to 10 p.m. And it's an open forum and an open fellowship. If you're looking for fellowship in this crazy time, when you can find that fellowship online. Uh, also, there's a YouTube channel, God is Not Religious. So you can get in touch with me through all those means. Excellent. And I've got all that information linked there in the description below. I want to thank Danny for coming on the program. We are out of time. Thank you so much for tuning into the program tonight. We'll see you real soon. Good night and God bless you.